the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Kind of a hazy day out there. I like haze. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's start by thinking uh, positively. Um, Gratitude is an action. Just remember that. And, you know, I I was in the park system the other day, and I I saw this right after I came out, and I just thought I'd mention it. I entered the wilderness, and I feel a deep sense of responsibility. That and that truth, right? We all have this limit time, limited time on Earth. How can we help others? Um, you know, the other thing is, and this is something that I think we all have to, to to live with. You have to embrace constant change, especially with technology. So, there we go. Uh, hey. Uh, you know, I, I always refer everybody to WHK's webpage, and, and uh, if you go to local podcasters, there's uh, you can go straight to my webpage. It's the smart go down to the Smart Investor Show, go right to my webpage, and I've had numerous questions recently. One is about income, and one is about the dollar dollarization, shall we call it, uh, situation, the dilemma. Okay. Uh, and we have a pretty good piece on my webpage. So if you go to local podcast and and you go to Insight, uh, you, I mean, you go local podcast down the Smart Investor Show, and you go directly to my webpage from there, and then go to the Insight. There's a tab right on the top, and it does have a piece on the dollarization dilemma. Okay, so that's what it's called. So uh, take a look. Uh, by the way, if you look at the at the um, you know, the bulletin board, it has Rob Schleimer's work this week and, and then a, a newsletter that kind of sums up what the market does every week. So if you're not paying close attention, it'll help you. Um, if you'd like to set up appointments, there's all sorts of contact me, email me. I also talk about our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. Look, if you look, NASDAQ stocks are up big right now. The You know, I think the, the value stocks are only up 3% this year. That's where the growth stocks land. I think they're going to outperform because, uh, look, um, there was a time when Coke and Pepsi traded at 80 to 100 times earnings. And their stock, their stock, well, their financials continued to do well for years after that, and they went nowhere. And I think we're getting close to a period of time where you have to start to diversify your portfolio a lot. The interest rates going higher, and as I, you know, as Rob Schleimer said uh, a while back, you know, the interest rates once they break a forty-year downtrend, they're not going back there for a while. All right, or at least we don't think they are. So I'll just leave it at that. And uh, but uh, 
Also, uh, you could sign up for a wealth plan questionnaire. I had three people that aren't clients yet do it. Uh, I sent them the questionnaire. They're, you know, they got to spill them out and send them back to me, but I'll leave it at that. If you want to have a cup of coffee with me or, or come to my office, you know, uh, I can. I have an office in, in downtown Cleveland. I also go to our Westlake office quite a bit. Uh, so you can do one of those places. Okay. So I was reading uh, Lori Calvacina's stuff. Um, and, you know, the most interesting thing that that crossed her desk this week was the updates on high-frequency indicators. And I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, two big things you need to know. First, despite moving up a little recently, effective interest rates remain near historical lows for the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 indices. Uh, so that's, it's kind of highlighting the extent to which many public companies are still benefiting from the era of low interest rates. The same is true for many consumers as the effective rate paid on mortgage debt outstanding remains quite low. You know, only when you sell your house do you, you upgrade to the higher mortgage rate, okay? Uh, it it, it, it kind of helps explain the resiliency of U.S. companies and consumers and strengthen U.S. equity markets this year. Second, our high-frequency indicators highlighted how individual investor sentiment remains a problem and reasons why growth leadership, which has stumbled since mid-July, may stay under pressure for a while, okay? So the legacy of low interest rates, uh, at least on the charts I'm looking at, uh, address a question that's been popping up uh, a lot lately, and what level of interest rates are most companies actually paying right now? You know, uh, Lori, in her pulse, I think it was several weeks ago, she said that many investors... uh, if you walk through the composition of the S&P 500 balance sheets, you know, they highlighted the debt uh, levels have risen relative to EBITDA or earnings before interest taxes, uh, depreciation and modernization. Short-term debt has been falling as a percent of total capital while long-term debt has been rising. They took the debt out when it was 2%. You know, Apple took out almost a half a trillion dollars worth of debt at 2%, all right? So very few companies have have average weighted maturities in the 0 to 2% range, which is where all the yield you know, upgrades have been. And interest expense remains quite low versus uh, history. So when calculated as percent of sales, uh, I should say that too, I'm sorry. As, of, uh, as all this is suggested to, uh, to us that companies are still benefiting from locking in the low interest rates prior to the Fed's aggressive hiking in 2022 and 2023. So in today's charts, you know, I looked and I, I, I saw how the effective tax rate paid by the S&P 500 has changed over time. And, and, and what, uh, uh, what we calculated in this stat in three different ways, you know, the highest number we had come up with was 3.1%. So over time, this, this stat has fallen pretty steadily. So the, the the companies out there were not dumb. They weren't just sitting on their hands. They were taking out long-term debt. When long-term debt was 2%, they're not calling it. <laughs> you got on that. They're not calling it. So I, I think for the Russell 2000, it's like 4.4% on a median basis. So the overall trend and recent move has been similar to what we saw with the S&P 500. And, and if you take a trip 
down the rabbit hole and examine whether the index level uh, effective interest rates have been more closely related to the 10-year yields or the Fed funds rates over time, we found that, that the 10-year yields have been more in sync with the effective interest rate of the indices than Fed funds. So what we're saying is the long-term rates have been more effective, okay? So, so you know, if you look, we got data from our economics team, and it shows how consumers are in a similar boat. You know, most of the stuff they've taken out on their mortgages is long-term debt. Now, some people have paid them off, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But what else jumps out from the high-frequency ind- uh, indicators is individual investor sentiment is still flashing yellow. Okay, it's way too high. Remember, we like to, on this show we like to buy things when everybody hates them. <laughs> I, I my wife worries about me sometimes. Uh, net bulls in the weekly AAII survey is sitting at twenty one percent of last week's up you know four week moving average. Now that's that's the bulls minus the bears. Now okay, so stocks often stumble uh, stumble after getting crossing thirty percent on the four week average. So we see sentiment becoming a problem for the stock market before too long, but we're not there yet. All right. So that's what we're saying. We're, we're flashing yellow. So our S&P 500 valuation model has gotten a bit more constructive. Our model, which forecasts a trailing PE for the S&P 500, uh, got a little more favorable for the stock market with the anticipated multiple inching up to 21.9 for 2023. Uh, this just came as expectations for inflation came down a bit. Okay, uh, this model incorporates data going all the way back to 1962, so it's pretty good. And it's, it's been arguing for quite some time that valuations for the S&P 500 could end up much higher for the year, and that many have uh, anticipated, g- given the moderation inflation that's believed to be underway. Uh, you know, so growth valuations have improved, but still look elevated. The relative PE ratio between growth and value has started to fall after hitting levels close to recent peaks. So that remains above the long-term average. Uh, this argues incremental value outperformance, okay? However, this year, growth is outperformed. I mean, growth indices, the fantastic seven, as they call them, uh, or the marvelous seven, whatever you want to call them, uh, are up 30% this year, where growth stocks are up about 14, 15, where value stocks are only up about three. So there you go. Um, now. Um, the one thing, the big thing that happened this week was that, you know, Fitch downgraded the U.S. debt to double A plus from triple A. Remember, the S&P did this in 2011 and leaves Moody as the only major rating uh, still to classify U.S. debt as triple A rating. You know, Fitch ascribed its decision to a combination of macroeconomic factors and governance issues. It highlighted the current debt burden which is attributed to a, a combination of tax cuts and spending initiatives and projections on the future increases in debt levels driven by rising interest rates, which is a problem, I think, an aging population and higher health care spending. Um, on the government front, Fitch's comments focused on the debt limit showdowns that are, are not resolved at this minute um, and probably won't be resolved until the last minute. Okay, so you know, that's something to, to pay attention to. Now, look, um, I've, I've got a lot of calls, uh, like 12 calls in the last, uh, I don't know, three weeks about income. And one of the um, the areas that people 
talk about is mortgage-backed securities. And the art of valuing mortgage-backed securities is kind of difficult, but uh, they have similar characteristics to traditional fixed income instruments. The sector, however, has some unique elements investors must recognize when uh, evaluating these bonds, okay? So first of all, the, the estimated payment speeds and their impact on the principal and uh, interest cash flows. They're unique uh, traditional mortgage loans in the U.S. typically come with a fixed rate that requires scheduled monthly interest and principal payments over a 10 to uh, 15 to 30 year period. In the early years, mortgage loan payments are allocated almost entirely to interest. But this gradually shifts, you know, towards principal payments over the life of the loan. And, and so unlike traditional fixed income securities that pay interest on a constant face value until a final maturity or call date, mortgage bonds are adjusted monthly as borrowers prepay their loans. Okay? So the mortgage-backed securities are often retired before their final maturity. And the yield on the mortgage bond is typically not priced as you know, a, a call or maturity date, but as a cash flow yield based on the estimated average life of the of the bond. All right. So therefore, you know, we think an investor's first step in evaluating uh, mortgage bonds should be to compare the securities yield to that of the treasury bond with a maturity date similar to the average life of a mortgage bond. So, you know, this difference, you know, they call it the spread, all right, the spread to treasuries, is the additional compensation investors receive for accepting undesirable repayment needs, all right? So, or speeds, I should say, not needs. So average life explained, uh, average life is a metric that estimates how quickly understanding principle will be to fully repaid based on various assumptions. Now, these assumptions, you know, they get tweaked and the average life changes. And the results are useful. Uh, so you can, you can judge the risk, you know, of being prepaid. So you know, these securities contain above market rate coupons, and while the securities with below market coupon structures typically trade at a, a discount to dollar price to par, what's par? Par is 100, all right? That's where you buy a bond. In general, mortgage bonds with larger coupons have greater prepayment risk, simple as that. So mortgage bonds with lower coupons have greater extension risk, all right? So it's stuff that you have to know going into this. And we have a great mortgage bond uh, group. I'll just suggest that and uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, so take it from there. Now, look, uh, there's been a preference now for some time. Uh, people have been buying U.S. equities and strategically, uh, we have seen, well, we're seeing the, the European markets become cheaper, <laughs> uh, very much cheaper. And uh, even some of the Eastern European markets, uh, or I should say Asian markets, are starting to get cheap. So, um, you know, the preference for U.S. equities has proven beneficial for investors over the past decade. So we believe an allocation, you know, you want to start thinking about the international developed markets equities is, is warranted, you know, right? So I, you know, I haven't talked about international equities, but maybe in January, and from January till to today, they, they've uh, they've outperformed. That's good. But um, look, it, it you got to diversify a little bit, and we're not the only game in town. 
Uh, now we've we've done better, but you've had to be in a very small group. Although we're starting to see that spread out a little bit. All right, so uh, it's just something you know you have to be thinking about, and um, uh, you know a lot of people um, have concentrated on the U.S. And, and me included, and I you know I have some exposure, but not a great deal. But look, uh, one of the things that I think the uh, Fed Chair uh, Powell made very clear was there are two more job reports and two more CPI reports. Now, you know, with the report that came out last week was less than, uh, I, I mean, let's just put it this way. I, I think the, the job report was okay, not great. All right. <laughs> I guess that's the way. So just remember that these are, there's, you know, July payrolls are down, one to go, three more to go. Okay. And, and like I said earlier, uh, you know, you're looking at a scenario where, uh, you know, the, the the actual inflation rate is is at question right now. Okay. So we'll just see what happens. Uh, hey, let's take a break and we're going to come right back and we'll, we'll talk about, uh, uh, you know, what Rob Schleimer's thinking. All right. This is the Smart Investor Show. We call it the fairy godmother moment, that moment when we've fixed your problem, cleaned up to apple pie order, and are heading out the door. Why? Because we're not the hero of this story. You are. We're just privileged with the chance to come on the scene when you need us, wallacadoodle your problem away, and leave you to attend the ball. That's the fairy godmother moment. Except we want to do one more thing before waving goodbye. Give the important parts of your plumbing a flyby once over, ensuring your emergency water shutoffs are working, checking the age, safety, and condition of your water heater, and verifying your water pressure is not too high or low. We want to leave you with peace of mind that your plumbing system is good to go. So when you're feeling the glow of why it works fairy godmother moment and our straight talk and do it right plumber asks to do a flyby, now you know why. Because you're the main character. And we want the rest of your movie to be as trouble-free as possible. Consider it done at WyattWorks.com. Dennis Prager sees tough times. Liberals continue to vote as if everything is normal and the Republicans are the enemy. No matter what the left does, liberals keep voting left. We're living through a very, very perilous time. Liberals are the problem because they are the ones who put the left in power. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at 1, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. Uh, I, I understand Jason called. Jason, how are you? Hey, Tim, how you doing? 
I'm okay. Hey, I know you were talking about, uh, before about the the corporate debt that was refinanced with those lower rates, the lo- you know the long term uh, rate, and and the mortgages, uh, you know, with the with the lower rate. But I, I'm wondering, what do you think? Uh, you want to you want to get into some commercial real estate right now that no one wants because I heard that 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 commercial real estate is not financed long term. It's got rates that 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 come their leases are about three years, so they got them at low at low rates three years ago, and now the interest rate is sky high, and nobody wants the commercial real estate because because no one's buying uh, retail anymore, and and nobody's going down going going to work to work in the cities. They're working from home. So even if the rates were lower, these people are going to turn in the keys, aren't they? Because they can't they can't lease out the, the space. Uh, Jason, uh, commercial real estate is not my area of expertise, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. Uh, I I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in that field. So I'd rather leave that to the experts in the field. <laughs> you don't think it, you, okay? Not, you don't think it's gonna you don't think it's gonna have an effect on on regional banks that hold that, that that have given out those loans and stuff and effect on the economy. Cause Paul said he's, you know, he's watching it. He, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what the effect could be because we've never really seen anything like this before. Yeah. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, I think some of the regional banks that were affected earlier were affected by other things, you know, uh, yeah. but you know, that, that could be a, a risk in the future, but, I'm not a, I, real estate is not my game, and I, you know, I think you have to call, uh, you know, somebody who deals with commercial real estate. I'm just not an expert on that. So yeah, okay. I talk about things I know. I talk about things I know. I don't talk about things I don't know. Okay. I hear you. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. Have a great day. Uh, anyway, so I, I was reading up on uh, Rob Schleimer's stuff and. Uh, you know, he he had uh, a couple things that I think were kind of interesting. And, um, you know, one of the things that he keeps talking about it, uh, on his um, thing is this rotation nation. Okay. And if you've seen, we've had three or four major changes in leadership. So now he thinks the technical backdrop for equities remains positive, you know, cause he's talking about those long-term cycles that we talk about, you know, and, and the four-year cycle should end in 2024. And he, he, he just basically said the uptrend remains intact for the S and P 500 and the NASDAQ, uh, even after another rate hike by the fed. So, so he thinks short-term pullbacks will, will be, likely that you know uh so you'll probably pause for a while and you know if you get a break below i think 4400 or 4505 you know in the nasdaq at 13 uh 873 uh you need those to to show that both markets have begun to reverse okay so uh bottom line he continues to expect that near term pause but but weakness should be at a be temporary and then an opportunity to buy additional equity exposure. Okay. Uh, now he thinks a pullback in the technology heavy S and P 500 NASDAQ would not be a surprise. So uh, that wouldn't, I mean, they've, they've gone up quite a bit. Um, you know, the, the transports continue to emerge and I thought that was interesting. Uh, so the transports and the ind- industrials 
have rallied above some key technical resistance about a week ago, and they're they're pushing above the February highs to complete like kind of a bottoming pattern to confirm new trends. So after such a uh, rally through July, a pause or pullback would not be a surprise, okay, given the bullish longer-term chart profile. He thinks pullbacks will be short-lived, all right? So the recent breakouts by both the Dow and the transports and the industrials, you know, the, the market cycle's improving. Uh, now, there was questions about, you know, despite the laggage, lagging uh, technology-heavy S&P 500, the S&P 500 equal weight has broken uh, its downtrend line, and so hasn't the Russell 2000 small cap fund. So um, even the emerging markets, I think the emerging markets are just at or about to break. Uh, and what we're looking at is the, N- the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index. Uh, so they could break too. That would be uh, very interesting. Now, one of the things that he talks about is the cyclicals continue to emerge, uh, you know, and, and that's important. Um, and the energy sector was bottoming. Uh, now, he, he he also said, you know, the 10-year yield was like straight up. <laughs> and uh, you got to be careful with that. So, look, our longer-term outlook for the markets is still available, you know, with our long-term view, uh, it, it, we publish it on a monthly basis. So if you'd like that, you can give us a call. But our outlook for equities is unchanged, noting that the secular backdrop remains positive with potential to carry equity markets higher into the mid-2030s. Uh, that's just based on the secular bull markets. You know, the, the average length is about 16 to 18 years. Now, things change, okay? So Maybe something happens that screws that up. I don't know. But, you know, uh, usually the cyclical backdrop or the current cyclical backdrop is is also positive with cyclical lows established in the fourth quarter of 2022. We talked about that. And the ongoing evidence that participation is broadening beyond technology and the growth stocks, notably the more cyclical groups. Now, you know, what that tells me uh is that you know you got to look someplace i mean you got to watch the groups okay and to see which ones are emerging now tactically uh investors uh, tactically means short term okay for you folks out there investors should be prepared for kind of a tactical pullback in the coming weeks maybe months following the real strong rebound we had uh in, from june to july uh, now, to be clear, the 2023 uptrend remains intact for most markets, but some short-term indicators are again overbought and beginning to diverge a little bit. So sentiment indicators have rebounded, and I don't like. Uh, the percentage of stocks above their 50-day moving average are near short-term peak levels, with uh, August and notably September, you know, they're weak periods for, for equities. So, uh, you know, if, if you look, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Given the, the positive long-term backdrop, all right, and our expectations for any pending market weekend speed relatively shallow, probably short-lived and opportunistic, um, continue building exposure to secular and cyclical growth stocks. Simple as that. You know, that's that barbell approach that uh, you know we came out with back in December, and and given the recent rebound in many cyclical stocks this week's. Stock examples are fewer, but we we have a focus right now on energy and a select amount of material stocks. So 
Um, you know, oil looks like I'm not allowed to comment on oil anymore. <laughs> the relative performance uptrend of growth versus value uh, continues to challenge its first half of 2023 uptrend. So we'll see what happens there. And we continue to view the recent pause as healthy. You know, you don't want your stocks going straight up because what goes straight up comes straight back down. So we had a very strong surge. We expect some pullbacks. We think they'll be relatively shallow, at least what we're looking at today. And the cyclicals um, look better than the safety stocks. Okay? So I think safety was, you know, a good play for a couple years now. Um, I did notice, uh, you know, some of the uh, the safety stocks, some of them are holding up, some are pulling back. So we'll see what happens. I think the long-term profile for the high beta, i.e. the cyclical stocks versus the, the low volatility safety stocks remains bullish. Uh, of course, we could have a pause and, and we could, you know, pause for a while. Okay. Remember, the cycle starts in 2024 if the four-year cycle works, but they're not going to ring a bell at the bottom. And now the, the one area that looks really the best is, is semiconductors, and I've got a boatload of those. And here again, we view the recent pause to be healthy technical event, and we expect some pullbacks to be relatively short-lived. And for the higher beta cyclical stocks, uh, it'll probably be into the third quarter, uh, pretty far into the third quarter, I think. And, and growth in technology, um, you know, if you look at those, you, you can, you're revisiting the contrasting patterns between, you know, uh, certain stocks, which is pausing versus some foreign stocks, which are showing the evidence of bottoming. And uh, some of those are in the, the uh, Chinese market. Okay. So, but the participation continues to broaden and, and as the sectors show further evidence of completing some bottoming following the 2023 correction. So the large cap integrated oils are showing evidence of bottoming while more EMP names are reversing their downtrends. So there we go. And materials, I'm seeing, you know, uh, some of the copper companies uh, and, and some of the iron ore companies are looking good. Some of the chemical companies are looking good. And one of the things, you know, we talked about on the show, or Rob always talks about, is the quadrant balance momentum indicator. Remember, uh, we talked back, 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 back in March. It was very oversold. Hey, let's take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back with the quadrant balance indicator. Stay tuned. Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without breaking the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. 
Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. In the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online. GanleyChevyAurora.com. Find new roads. We call it the fairy godmother moment. That moment when we've fixed your problem, cleaned up to apple pie order, and are heading out the door. Why? Because we're not the hero of this story. You are. We're just privileged with the chance to come on the scene when you need us, wallacadoodle your problem away, and leave you to attend the ball. That's the fairy godmother moment. Except we want to do one more thing before waving goodbye. Give the important parts of your plumbing a flyby once over, ensuring your emergency water shutoffs are working, checking the age, safety, and condition of your water heater, and verifying your water pressure is not too high or low. We want to leave you with peace of mind that your plumbing system is good to go. So when you're feeling the glow of why it works fairy godmother moment and our straight talk and do it right plumber asks to do a flyby, now you know why. Because you're the main character. And we want the rest of your movie to be as trouble-free as possible. Consider it done at whyitworks.com. This is Hugh Hewitt for Town Hall Review. If you're like me, you want more than just facts. You want insight from people you trust. People like Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, Mike Gallagher, and of course me, your host each week on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. A weekly roundup of the news. Tune in each week and visit our website at townhallreview.com, where we give you what you need in today's fast-changing world. That's townhallreview.com. Saturday and Sunday at 5 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. We just uh, turned in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And, you know, I, just to summarize what we were just talking about, we talked about growth in technology, and we're seeing some kind of contrasting pa- uh, patterns between some of the domestic big hitters and some of the foreign ones, and uh, most notably China. So uh, we're seeing some bottoming patterns in the Chinese, you know, area. I'm not mentioning any stocks or anything like that. You got to pick your own. Uh, and, and then, a pausing in some of the names that have run up in in our area. So, and we also talked about the energy. The participation is is beginning to show further signs of completing a bottom. Uh, the large cap integrated oils uh, look great, and the and there's a bottoming pattern in the uh, the E and P names. So that's good. And materials, uh, you know, I, I see it, some of the chemical names, some of the copper names, and uh, just some of the genetic material names. Now, the one thing you got to get a little bit concerned about is that it, you know, we're testing a resistance area uh, between I think forty-five, fifty, uh, twelve, and and forty-six, thirty-seven, and the quadrant, the weekly quadrant balance indicator, which is an overbought, oversold uh, type of scenario, uh, tracking the percent of stocks 
with rising weekly momentum is showing signs of churning after testing the uh, the upper overbought band near 80%. So it's still early, early to conclude that the rally has established a significant top or anything like that. But but some weakness pullback remains likely in the coming weeks, notably in well-advanced leaders, okay? You know, the, the big leaders in the in the market. So it's a rotation nation that Rob talks about all the time, all right? So uh, we're probably going to rotate to some new leadership, and, and the old leadership will kind of just fuddle, fuddle around a little bit. Now, the, I will say this. Um, you know, normally when this occurs, sometimes you can see a, a sideways movement and the quadrant balance indicator will, you know, slowly but surely reverse itself. Now, look, seasonally, you know, if we look at the S&P 500 monthly, you know, May is a bad year. This year was a good year. And August and, and September, the other two down months. I'm so, uh, so, you know, we're coming into a period where normally there's some weakness. All right. Now, you know, October, believe it or not, is, is a really good month. Uh, July is all, also a very good month. And November is a very good month. So uh, I think we have to get through August and September uh, and probably muddle around, you know, if, if Rob's right. Uh, you know, so if, if, if it does, you know, if we do have a bad September, I don't I don't I, I guess I get the impression what he's saying is that it, it won't be that bad of a September. But, you know, uh, predicting the future ain't easy. So uh, who knows? But but the thing that concerns me most right now is the bulls are back. Uh, you know, if you look at the AA, American Association of Individual Investors, the bulls are at 44.9%. The bears are at 20... I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, uh, well, well, we'll go back. Um, I think they're at 23 or 24, all right? So, um, you know, that's something... You know, you want the bears up around 50 and, and the bulls around 20. Now, look, the market can go up for a long, long time with the bulls between, you know, 35 and 55. Okay. Matter of fact, some of the biggest moves in the market, you know, remember the bulls were at 55% in 2021. And we were having a hard time finding, you know, uh, you know we weren't as bullish. Okay. So just leave it at that. Now, uh, he also talked about the 10 year yield. This is the yield index, okay? So this is the treasury treasury yield index, and it's been range bound between two key levels, and and a move above four point oh nine percent would likely signal increasing inflation concerns and be a net for negative growth stocks. Well, he was right; it moved above there, but I think it was on the Fitch downgrade. You know, it's going to cost more. Uh, you know, one of the things that they that everybody's worried about is we got. You know, you've got to set the uh, uh, the Treasury Department's uh, boundaries uh, coming up here. And Congress went on vacation, and they only got 30 days to get it all done. And once again, it's a last-minute thing, so everybody's a little bit worried about that. So a move below 3.6 and most notably 3.25 would likely signal increasing concerns of a weakening economy. So I think what we have is this hedge 22 you don't want to see the yields go up, and they did. Okay, I think the the uh, ten year was closed at four one um, four one two on Thursday, and then had an abrupt reversal on Friday. So we'll see what happens there. I don't know. Who knows? Now look, I'm, there's a theme here. <laughs> you know, 
you know, uh, if you're going to be in technology, AI has changed everybody's thought process. It may have changed Powell's thought process. Who knows? But look, AI is pretty expensive right now. And I think you, those are the stocks you want to wait for the pullbacks on. But one of the areas we talked about, and uh, Dean Dre is our analyst. He's a very good one, by the way. And he's an industrial analyst. And what he's talking about is the data center liquid cooling market. And, you know, the next gen AI chips and servers require advanced cooling technology that traditional HVAC cannot handle. Uh, now, some of those, those traditional HVAC companies have made a big move because you can't install these things fast enough, all right? So advances in these uh, three types of liquid cooling systems are seeing 25% growth as, as only a single-digit percentage of rack deployments uh, employ advanced cooling devices, okay? So currently, many of these high-density racks you know, just imagine a warehouse full of these racks are cooled by uh, containment techniques or localized approaches such as rear door heat exchangers, okay? Many startups are chasing this high-growth opportunity. Uh, we have a couple of names that, you know, I'm not going to throw out there. They have first-mover advantage in direct-to-chip cooling. And look, as AI becomes more popular, edge computing and next-gen servers continue to boast data center power requirements, resulting in dense configurations with step functions in cooling demands. While air cooling from legacy data HVA systems have made some advances, there is a physics threshold beyond which air cooling becomes an impractical solution. All right, so our research indicates that once data center densities reach in the excess of 30 kWs, liquid cooling emerges as the most viable, cost-effective option for cooling, and rapidly more of must-have. Okay, so presently the liquid cooling market is modest, with a totalable address uh, addressable market of like two to three billion dollars. So it's big. This market is is seeing robust growth, 25% CAGR. If you know what that means outpacing the overall data center infrastructure market. So with the hyperscale players moving the fastest, all right, uh, it could, you know, it, the, the growth could increase maybe, who knows, but multiple secular themes are driving the rapid adoption of liquid cooling data centers. First of all, rising electrical prices. If, you know, these electric cars and, and, and the data centers, they, they're not allowed to build new, you know, the, the thing about electricity is that they're, they're not building very many new power plants, and, we're, and our use is going up drastically. So, you know, the prices are going up. The cost effectiveness and, and the space optimization through higher densities, AI growth, and then the ESG considerations are among the key market drivers. So there's, there's lots of reasons for these to go up, all right, is what I'm saying. And as the digital landscape continues to evolve, liquid cooling is poised to play a pivotal role in meeting the escalating cooling demands of the data centers, especially the modern ones, all right? So our approach here builds upon the artificial intelligence activated theme highlighted, you know, I talked about this years ago, the RBC image 2025, I think it was 2030, uh, which is still available, by the way. So. It, it, 
it's a hyperdrive report that we published back in November of 2021. I think it was the last time we published it. So look, data set on liquid cooling, the size of the market is growing rapidly, two to $3 billion. So you're looking at 25% growth. These industrial stocks now become technology stocks almost, you know what I mean? So there's huge advantages of liquid versus air cooling. Uh, air cooling is, is okay for your house, but not for a warehouse. And there's three types of liquid cooling techniques. There's uh, the three prominent types of liquid cooling are direct-to-chip cooling, immersion cooling, and rear door heat exchange cooling. So we have some key players in this space, and, and it's focused on the key players that manufacture liquid cooling systems. Uh, that Some of them are publicly traded. Some are privately owned. But liquid cooling should move the needle for most of these companies. Uh, I have one in mind, and I'll just leave it at that. Actually, there's two that I really like. Uh, there's a couple big industrial companies that are doing it, too, that I, I think are, you know, help you diversify away. So, all right. So, um, look, one of the things that most people aren't talking about is dividend strategies. And I think, you know, growth, we've been talking about it for two months now. So, growth performed in line with dividend strategies. While dividend strategies broadly faced a few notable headwinds and crosswinds, i.e. interest rates, <laughs> the leadership in the equity market is very narrow so far this year. All right, it's starting to spread out, but you can, you can see it. So this is a good time to be looking. Uh, a lot of people are looking at the high tech, you know, but they don't pay material dividends. As we retire, okay, we want dividends. We want we want to get paid. So there's a lot of stocks out there in our dividend growth portfolio and our prime income list that will pay you. All right. So the dividend growth portfolio, prime income list, go to the uh, local podcast on WHK's webpage down to Smart Investor Show and ask for them. Hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little bit more about dividend growth. Stay tuned. Bad decisions limit future options. Make bad enough decisions and you'll destroy your life. Listen to The Flat Line with your host Rick Hughes every Sunday morning at 6.30 here on AM 1420 The Answer. The Flat Line describes a mainline resistance in your soul to build on God's Word. Join us every Sunday for 30 minutes of inspiration, motivation, education, all without manipulation. That's The Flat Line with Rick Hughes, heard every Sunday at 6.30 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. Listen to this station anytime, anywhere on Odyssey. Odyssey is your new audio home for all the music, news, sports, and podcasts that matter to you. Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Haven't heard of that song in a long time. Anyway, um, no, look, if, I, I'm, I'm talking about dividend growth. And the reason I am is that it, it's simple. You know, 
as leadership expands, I, I look, you know, Friday, a lot of the healthcare stocks are up. Okay. Uh, I won't mention what they, who, who they were. Some of them have dynamite dividends. You know, biotech now is not your grandfather's biotech. They, they have a lot of nice yield. So the, the portfolio outperformed the S&P 500 by 15% in 2022. So what's happened is to date, uh, you know, you, if you're looking at leadership, uh, materials and tech have proven to be the most additive factors on performance, while stuff like communication services, industrials, consumer, discretionary, and healthcare have been the most detrimental. Now, those are also some of the top areas for dividend growth or just dividends. So the drivers to these unperforming sectors uh, include low to no yield leadership performances with like communication services and consumer discretionary, the, the low the, the cyclical low quality leadership in the industrial sector and the general underperformance of healthcare. Uh, so these two factor functions of the portfolios uh, overweight, uh, you know, has been a, it's been a struggle for the dividend growth portfolio in the prime income list. They outperformed last year in a down market, but this year they're kind of lagging a little bit. And, and, you know, like I said, value stocks are not up as much as growth stocks. So with the, within the financial sector, uh, you know, I was looking at the dividend growth in the prime income list. The portfolios hold an underweight in the sector, while the banking industry specifically has seen some of those performing, is probably the worst performing group in 2023. Uh, not so much the big banks. You know, there's four or five big banks, but it's the smaller banks, obviously, they're getting hit. But dividend growth holds uh, banking exposure that is materially different from the epicenter of the current banking strains. That's what I like about it. So I, I think, you know, you got to be paying attention here. Um, and look, if the stocks are not performing and the thing's going up, the yields are going up, because there's still, you know, most of these stocks in the dividend growth portfolio are just that. They're growing their dividends. And we try to look for 6 to 8% every year. So uh, if they're down, you buy yield when it's up. You buy good quality companies when they're up. Okay, so there we go. Look, uh, people ask me about the wealth plan questionnaire, and I just want you to know that any information that you provide us will be considered confidential. Simple as that. You know, it's not it's not to be, uh, you know, sold or whatever. You know, we don't do that. Okay, somebody asked me that last week. But I think it's important that the information you provide us is used as a general guide to assess your current financial situation. What we do is we we look at thousands of different possibilities in the markets. Okay, markets up twenty five percent a year. We'll tell you how you're going to do. Markets down five percent per year for the next ten years. We're going to tell you how to do it. Okay, and the probabilities of your success given that, and then the probabilities of success based on a normal market. All right. So uh, I got asked that question. We're, we're not going to sell your information. <laughs> just not the way it works. All right. Uh, matter of fact, you become a client, you, you know, you don't have anything to worry about uh, on that part. So, but w- even if you're not a client, the, the information is not going to be sold. We're going to send you a copy of a wealth plan. We'll keep it on board for a while until, you know, say no, but that's fine. We'll move on. All right. So, um, 
The CPI report for June paired with last week's non-farm payroll reports has raised the prospect that the Fed may actually be on the cusp of pulling off the long-held belief that it could cool inflation without due economic or labor market damage. Now, with policymakers uh, likely won't yet declare victory, we believe the Fed's next meeting will feature a dovish rate hike which I don't know how that works, <laughs> but uh, it could mark the end of the Fed policy uh, tightening thing. So a cycle, we'll call it. And inside the data is, is, you know, I looked at the cost and energy costs, which have been negative for four months, continue to drive much of the decline uh, in, in headline inflation pressures. So that could be a problem. You know, the Saudis uh, are cutting output or, or not increasing output. All right. So there was positive news on, on core, X food, and energy. And uh, used cars fell another 5.2%. And over the, uh, the past year, uh, airlines' fares have dropped about 20%. Uh, data out of China released earlier this week show producer prices falling 5.4%. So we may be, you know, exporting uh, deflation. Who knows? Uh, so, look... If you're fueling deflationary pressures, which should make their way to the United States eventually, in the ways of cheaper, uh, cheaper consumer good prices, prices that over, you know, they've already been failing, or falling. I'm sorry, as a share of overall inflation over the past year. So, if inflation continues to fall, I, I don't see how the Fed can continue to, you know, raise rates. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, with the uh, CPI rating and the Fitch downgrade, uh, the markets were full risk on and then went to risk off very quickly. Uh, so it, it's kind of a different type of market, you know, so you got to keep that in mind. I, I, I think the two-year Treasury note has fallen to just uh, 4.76. So it's, it's really kind of under, uh, you know, under where it should be. So that usually means that they're thinking that, you know, the market's starting to think, hey, maybe they're going to lower rates. Remember, the rates will be lowered. They'll be lowered from the short end first. Okay, so the soft inflation data for June has traders repricing the Fed funds rate hikes. So they continue to expect one more rate hike at the, you know, the next week's rating. Okay, and then we'll see what happens. So we'll see. Who knows? Uh, We'll we'll take it from there. I just think you just got to keep in in mind that we're getting close to the end of this, you know, the secular backdrop. The long-term secular trend for the U.S. equity markets is still positive. People say, we just went through an 18% decline last year, Tim. How can you say that? In 1987, in one of the greatest bull markets in history, we went down 25% in basically four and a half hours. Okay, so there are bear markets within structural bull markets, and there are structural, I mean, there are bull markets within structural bear markets. Just remember that. When everybody's leaning one way, lean the other way. So the current four-year market, remember, which was established in 2022, uh, you know, the low was established in 2022 in, in September. So we're coming to the end of it, okay? Now, the longer-term technical difficulties for international equities have improved over the last six to eight, nine months, and, and that could be another place to pay very close attention to. So just remember those generational generational cycles start 16 to 18 years. We think this one started at the end of 2017. So we've got some ways to go. And we within that 16 to 18 year thing, we have 
these four-year cycles that occur. So you got to think long-term. Uh, I do think that the, the bearish sentiment or the bullish sentiment is something you have to worry about right at the moment. It, it, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I just think uh, when everybody's bullish, you should be wary. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. So what would I do now? I'd go to WHK's webpage. I think about this dollarization dilemma. Uh, I also think this thing on, on on data centers and cooling is a really big theme going forward, as you can tell, because I've talked about it for three weeks in a row. The dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list, I think, are perfect things to, to look at right now. And small caps. Nobody's talking about small caps. We have a small cap list with some really good names on it. And uh, also the ADR list, the American Depository Receipts. These are foreign stocks on our exchange. In the meantime, uh, have yourself a great weekend. This is the Smart Investor Show. Remember to, I'm Tim Hayes. Remember to buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.